It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop. And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order, order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. It's time. Time for silver and black today. To the ground game. Touchdown Las Vegas. We're breaking down the latest Raider news from on and off the field. And bringing you conversations with newsmakers and record breakers. So hold on, Raider Nation. It's time to get get it it on. Here's your hosts, Scott Goldbranson and Mo Moulton. Welcome back. It is time for Silver and Black today. Whether you're listening to us on Odyssey, yes, we are an Odyssey original podcast. Also, you're probably listening to us on Sunday morning, 98.5 The Fan in Las Vegas, as well as 11.40 The Bet. If you're listening to us over the air, we welcome you to game day. Otherwise, you're listening to us on Thursday. I am Scott Branson, joined by my co-host Mo Moten. He is a national NFL writer for Bleacher Report, also the NFL and Raiders columnist over at SportsNot.com. Mo, let's jump in. The Raiders news uh, heading into the weekend. We're going to prepare to look at the New Orleans Saints here in a couple minutes later on in the show. But first, we want to get to some of the things going on uh, around uh, Raider Dumb, Raider Nation including uh, um, uh, a move yesterday the Raiders made, and that was uh, they signed Jackson Barton uh, to the active roster, the tackle to the active roster, and they also re-signed defensive tackle Kyle Pecco and cornerback Bryce Cosby to the practice squad. This, of course, came after the Raiders traded uh, interior defensive lineman Jonathan Hankins to the Dallas Cowboys for a con- or, uh, seventh round pick or sixth round pick, excuse me, uh, in next year's draft, the 2023 draft. Mo, the Raiders making moves uh, near the deadline here. Talk a little bit about that. You called this out. Yeah, you know, it's tough. Sometimes we got to beat our chest and talk about how right you were. And uh, <laughs> a couple of shows ago last week, you said, pay attention to healthy scratches on the Raiders roster. And guess what Jonathan Hankins has been the last couple uh, weeks uh, or that, or he got against against uh, the last game, Chiefs. excuse me, last Monday against the Chiefs. He he played, uh, Scarry was a scratch, but then against the Texans, played just a couple plays. So uh, talk a little bit about the move and, again, why you told people to look for those healthy scratches as we approached the deadline. Yeah, if you run back the tape to, uh, I believe, after the Raiders lost to the Chiefs, I know a lot of people were up in arms about that, and that was the focus. But I said, going into the bye week, usually teams make changes. And one of the things that I noticed over the years is that usually if a player starts to see his snaps trend downward, if he's playing less snaps or playing fewer snaps, there's a possibility he may be benched for a younger player or may be traded if he has value. And Jonathan Hankins did not suit up against the Chiefs, didn't play. Uh, Neil Farrell made his season debut in that same game. And then they both played about the same amount of snaps against the Houston Texans. Jonathan Hankins played about 18% of the snaps. And then uh, Neil Farrell Jr. played about 15% of the snaps. So the writing was on the wall. I didn't want to call Jonathan Hankins' name out simply because I didn't want to start rumors. But I just told people, pay attention to those healthy scratches because they will tell you what a coach's staff thinks about a certain player. And sure enough, Jonathan Hankins gets traded 
to the Dallas Cowboys on Tuesday. Right, and and they get draft capital, which is good for the Raider team. And some people will say, well, yeah, but that's later in the draft. It doesn't matter. You get those picks, you stockpile them because you can take those picks later on and trade to go up, whatever you're doing. Uh, so it makes a lot of sense. Of course, uh, then they uh, bring on uh, Kyle Pecco to the practice squad, a guy that I know a lot of fans out there like during the preseason. Uh, and the Raiders are making moves uh, and, and trying to adjust this roster as they see fit. And we talked about it uh, uh, earlier this week and last week, too, about the Raiders, where they're at at two and four. Still two games below 500, still very much alive in, in, in a season where they could make the playoffs, no matter what the statistics say. So you didn't expect them to be big sellers uh, or big buyers. And these types of moves, uh, when you have some excess at the position, uh, and a lot of people say, well, geez, Jonathan Hankins, uh, they like him. He's a solid interior player, but he wasn't exactly a guy that you wanted to write home about. He wasn't exactly a guy who's going to change the trajectory of that defensive front, which, of course, you and I have talked about at times has struggled. Uh, and so so giving up that piece, does that tell you anything else about what Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels might be thinking heading into uh, this middle third of the season? Right now, nothing other than they feel confident in Neil Farrell Jr. soaking up more snaps. We talked about Cleveland Farrell in our last show getting more looks on the interior. He played a lot of B-gap snaps. I believe he played a quarter of his uh, B-gap snaps last week against against the Houston Texans. So he's getting looks at defensive tackle. And then, of course, Matthew Butler, who I believe only suited up for two games this season. I expect him to get a sprinkle of snaps as well. So I know a lot of fans say, well, we love Jonathan Hankins and what he's done for the Raiders' defensive line and run defense. But the writing has been on the wall. They didn't draft two defensive tackles to let those guys sit on the sideline and do nothing. Eventually, those guys are going to be expected to blossom into something. Now, people say, well, they're fourth and fifth rounders. Well, Max Crosby was a fourth rounder. Nate Hobbs was a fifth rounder. Hunter Renfro was a fifth rounder. I'm not saying Butler and Farrell will blossom like those guys, but there's nothing wrong with training a player who was losing his, his, his workload anyway and developing your young talent. Correct. So, well, let's think about this, too. Now, we, we've talked about uh, positions of need on this Raiders team as they head into the rest of the season. Of course, offensive line, we talked a lot about that. You and I have wanted them to go get a veteran on that line. But with uh, Munford and how he has progressed, it looks like he may have locked up that spot. He has been one of the best in the league, did not allow a pressure last week against the Texans, as a matter of fact. He's coming into his own. So I'm not sure that they're going to do anything on that offensive line. What else could this team do? You are covering, you're like white on rice when it comes to the trade deadline for Bleacher Report uh, this coming week. Uh, when you look at what's out there and what this team could do, I don't, ins I don't expect the Raiders to trade any draft capital for a player that's a rental player or for a player that's only going to be a marginal upgrade. So I don't see them doing a lot. Am I wrong there? Is there somebody out there, a defensive back, someone who you think could be a target for this team as we head into the trade deadline uh, after next weekend? I think if Ziegler could get a, a decent player for a fourth or fifth round, I think he would bite on that. I don't think he would want to trade away an early round pick, a first, a second, or even a third. Probably wants to save those picks so he can finally you know, accumulate some young players from the draft because, as we know, last year, he, well, this year, he started off with a with a third round pick. So mm -hmm. probably once a first or second this year. <laughs> but I would say that if you can upgrade the cornerback position, I would I would I would bite on that with a with a fourth round pick if possible. I talked to you off air about Greedy Williams uh with the Browns. Yes. I think he's the odd man out because 
They have Newsom on the inside. They have Denzel Ward, of course. They drafted Martin Emerson this year. So he's going to be on the out, I believe. He has an expiring contract, had one good year, then he got hurt. But you're getting him for half of a season. If he could play well for half of a season, I would say it's worth it. If he's available for a fifth-round pick, I would bite on that. William Jackson, of course, is the most known name that's out there because the Washington Commanders have made it known that they're looking to move him. Now, it may be he may be a little expensive because he's a little more experienced. He has more pelts on the wall than Greedy Williams. But if you can get him somehow for a fourth-round pick, I would definitely do it. A lot of fans were calling for Deron Payne after the Raiders traded Jonathan Hankins. I don't see that happening because Deron Payne's going to want a new contract very, very soon. And the Raiders have been paying players this offseason, and you can't pay everybody. So I think it comes down <laughs> to if the Raiders can get a player a rental, that's not going to cost them much now. That's not necessarily going to ask for a big contract next year or later this year. Uh, you bite on it. Yeah. Uh, also, we saw yesterday, of course, Robert Quinn going, a guy that I liked and I thought would be a nice fit for the Raiders at some point going back to the preseason when we talked about it and the fact that they might be shopping him. He goes to the Eagles. The Eagles are all in, I said to you earlier today, Mo, uh, and, and you like that. I mean, where they're sitting with the record they have, um, that's a bold move for them. Uh, interior of that defensive line, no question. Here's one nobody's talked about. Um, we don't know fans today, if you saw uh, this morning and yesterday, Darren Waller trending uh, on Twitter with Raiders fans. Uh, Raiders fans are really down on the guy. He's hurt, right? So so people are questioning his desire to play football. They're calling him a ripoff artist. All this stuff, which I think is unfair. But nonetheless, uh, is there is, are there moves on offense that this team could make despite the weapons they have? They have Foster Moreau at tight end, but if Darren Waller, uh, who was back at practice yesterday, but if he can't get back out there, uh, or are there other positions on offense you would consider if you're the Raiders? I would never turn down an offensive lineman, a capable mm. offensive line that could step in and play right away, simply because it's an invaluable position. If one guy goes down, then you're in trouble. You may be in trouble if you don't have any depth there. So I'm still on the offensive line as far as you can bring in another guard because we all know I, I'm not a fan of a certain guard that's starting right now. <laughs> and if you can upgrade <laughs> over him, I think that'll be pretty solid. But the problem is teams aren't just giving away starting offensive line. No, no. Even those that are not in contention and may be out of it for the rest of the season, you still got to protect your quarterback. Uh, and so uh, teams aren't willing to trade. And plus, offensive linemen, as the Raiders have learned, hard to come by. And that guy's name might rhyme with Mars, maybe. Um, but, yeah, I mean, but what about skill positions? Anything in skill position? I talked about Waller, tight end. Uh, the Raiders have a couple good tight ends, obviously. Uh, but if you start to look at injury, if you start to look at opportunities where you can upgrade, might they consider another receiver if someone's available and the price is right? I honestly don't think so. I, I just simply believe they have enough depth at those skill positions. Uh, just when Wendy would be pleased to know that I'm mentioning Jesper Horstead. Uh, Horstead I think he, yes. he, he had a pretty good preseason. I he mean, if, he, if it comes down to it and he's prepared to play, I think he can contribute. As far as we know, uh, Foster Moreau is fine now. He came back last week against the Houston Texans. So, you know, if Darren Waller for some reason is held out, not for some reason for his hamstring injury, if he's out again, uh, Foster Moreau will step up and Horstead will also step up as well. So I'm not worried about tight end or wide receiver with the way Mac Hollins has been playing. I know T. Billy, uh, Tyron Johnson, now off off the roster. So uh, 
still, I, I'm just not so worried about the wide receiver position or the tight end position or the running back position because Josh Jacobs has been running the show and those young guys haven't been getting touches. So if you need depth there, you just dust off one of those young rookies, put them in the game. Yeah, speaking, and I, I want to read this out because I got an email from the NFL look, previewing the coming week. And I want to read this with Josh Jacobs because, of course, uh, you look, Josh Jacobs, he's tied for second in the NFL with six rushing touchdowns uh, and fourth with 774 scrimmage yards this season. I mean, think about that, 774 yards. He's had 150 scrimmage yards and a rushing touchdown in each of his past three games. If he reaches those marks again this Sunday against the Saints, uh, he will become the fifth player in NFL history with at least 150 scrimmage yards and a rushing touchdown in four consecutive games. And the first since Pro Football Hall of Famer LaDainian Tomlinson did it in 2006. We talked a lot about Josh Jacobs uh, last show and, and the, during the mailbag show yesterday on Wednesday as well, Mo. Um, this guy has the potential this year to really just do something special. Uh, and and the only thing standing in his way, I think, because that offensive line, and I don't know if you saw, did you see the video of him congratulating and thanking his offensive line towards the end of the game yesterday? Uh, it was awesome. Or excuse me, on Sunday, it was awesome. But um, he, against the Saints, I think, has a great opportunity to actually hit that mark because the Saints are struggling a little bit, even though they have a strong defensive front. Yeah, the Saints used to be known as a team that didn't allow a lot of rushing yards. I remember they had this streak where they didn't allow 100 rushing yards for you know consecutive seasons, I believe yep, it was. Yep, yep. Not the same defense anymore. Uh, I'm surprised because Dennis Allen is a defensive-minded head coach. Raiders fans know who Dennis Allen is, but uh, he had that defense performing at a high level as a coordinator, right? as a head coach. Not so much. It's trended down and if you saw the last Thursday night game against the Cardinals, Eno Benjamin, who's by the way is on my fantasy team, ran wild against <laughs> the Saints. Full disclosure, he ran wild against the Saints. So I, I, I believe that Josh Jacobs, at the level he's performing, could do the same against that defensive front. Yeah, no question. Uh, good stuff. All right, we're going to step aside for our first break here on Silver and Black today. If you're listening to us on the radio, 98.5 The Fan, hello, Las Vegas. We appreciate you being with us. If you're listening to us on the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network, thank you. Make sure you subscribe to the show. If you're listening to us anywhere and you haven't subscribed yet, go do it wherever you get your podcast. When Mo and I come back, we're going to ask the question, is Derek Carr disrespected around the NFL? One Raiders player, a very significant player, seems to believe so. So we'll talk about that as well as talk about the season he's having here on Silver and Black today. Don't go anywhere. What up, y'all? It's your boy Danny Green, three-time NBA champ. You either rooted for me or rooted against me. Join myself and my co-host Harrison Sanford on the Inside the Green Room podcast. It's a podcast that brings you never-before-told tales from the locker room to candid interviews with basketball legends to breakdowns of what's happening in the NBA right now. Whether you're a diehard fan or casual about your hoops, this podcast brings you the game like never before. Follow Inside the Green Room on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Welcome back. Silver and black today. We talk all things Las Vegas Raiders football. Hi, everybody. I am Scott Colbranson, joined by my broadcast partner, as always, Mr. Mo Moten. He is the NFL writer, national NFL writer, I should say, for Bleacher Report. Also, Raiders columnist up on sportsnot.com. Make sure you follow him on Twitter, at Mo Moten. That's with an E, M-O-E-M-O-T-O-N. And I am at LV Gully. We appreciate you all being with us here to talk about Raiders football. Okay, Mo, we 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 want to bring this up because all we hear about when we talk about Derek Carr is love or hate, love or hate, love or hate. Very little in the middle, if you will, except on this show where we tend to be more objective, I think, than some. Uh, but I wanted to play this clip because uh, there's a show called Air It Out. It's on the Fubo TV. The Fubo TV is a streaming service, which I happen to be a customer of, full disclosure. Um, and, um, the show, uh, had Max Crosby on it. Max Crosby, great interview. I, I suggest you see the whole interview, but Max Crosby talked about not only his game and kind of, was he getting credit and his team and all that kind of stuff and talked about a bunch of different subjects, uh, including who he grew up watching. So again, I, I recommend, uh, you watching it and, and listening to it, but I want to play this clip because of course, TJ Humanzada brought up the unbring upable approachable subject about Derek Carr. So listen to this and listen to his answer, and then we'll come back and talk to, talk about it. Derek Carr. No, we're not going he, there. He's your quarterback. Oh, shit. See how you do me? Do you feel Here we go. he gets his respect across the league? Um, I don't think so. You know, a lot of people have their opinions. Um, but I think Derek, you know, since day one, Derek's been here almost 10 years. And uh, he's always been a bright spot on the team, no matter what's been going on. He's had like six head coaches. There's always change, but he's been consistent through the whole thing. So I know people, it's easy to point the finger at the quarterback and blame him, and, but it's it takes a whole team to win. And I feel like Derek has done a, done a great job. And ever since, I've been here four years now, and every year he's gotten better and better. So like you said, no matter what anybody else has to say, like Derek's a super confident dude and like, He's a guy you want on your team. You know, he's. I think he does a great job. So I got DCs back to, to the end. There you go. So there's Max Crosby on Air It Out on Fubo TV. Thank you uh, for the video from them. Mo, thoughts on what Max Crosby said about his quarterback? Because we hear some people who don't like Derek Carr talk about how people don't respect him. Sounds a lot like Max Crosby has a lot of respect and, and, and looks at his history and really uh, thinks that it's important to this team in the locker room. When I see clips like that, the first thing that comes to mind is, what do you expect him to say? <laughs> what, I, what else? Yes, I mean, yes, honestly, yes. I mean, he's he's not going to badmouth his quarterback no. on a show that gets a lot of viewers and listens. I mean, he's going to talk up his quarterback. I would expect any player in that locker room to say nothing but nice things about Derek Carr, especially when you have to go back to that locker room the next day or later in that day. So it's exactly what I expected him to say. I think the important uh, discourse here is, is he really disrespected among the media? And a lot of fans will say, yes, he is. I will say he's overlooked simply because his numbers aren't flashy. He's not the type that's going to throw for 400-plus yards. Joe Burrow, I believe, threw for 480-plus against the Atlanta Falcons last Sunday. He's not going to throw for a ton of yards. Uh, it's not a loud guy. Not going to give you a lot of sound bites. Very well-spoken at the podium. Uh, well coach he's not going to give you any bulletin board material and the other thing is to be honest he hasn't won a lot of games as a starter now I know it's a team game you win and lose as a team 
But let's be honest, when it comes down to wins and losses, we always start off talking about the quarterback's performance. That's just the way it is. And he hasn't won a playoff game in his career. So when it comes down to conversation of, oh, you know, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, those guys all have playoff wins. Now, Justin Herbert is on the come up. He doesn't have the playoff wins, but guess what? He has the flash. He's, he has the size. He has the arm. The Chargers are a lot of times, a lot of people's Super Bowl darlings and favorites before the preseason, and they fall apart with injuries as they are now. Always. And so with Justin Herbert, especially with the way Justin Herbert got his job, if you remember, it was a mishap with uh, Terod Taylor's IV or his uh, some type of uh, cartilage. He was his rib. Right. He was getting a shot. In he the was rib. getting he was getting an injection basically, yeah. and, and there was something that happened there, and he couldn't play. Justin Herbert steps in, and he takes over the job, and automatically he's thrown for three hundred plus yards and thrown for multiple touchdowns and having duels with Tom Brady, mm-hmm. when Tom Brady was pretty good. So this is why Justin Herbert gets the type of uh, media attention that he does and Derek Carr doesn't. Derek Carr's been around, as you said, as Max Crosby said, he's been around for a decade. He's had multiple coaches, which is commendable that he's still around after all of that. I I said it just on Twitter. No bad quarterback survives that many coaching changes. Usually with a coaching change comes a change at quarterback. So it lets you know how good Derek Carr is. On the other side of it, he hasn't won a lot of games. Again, I know it's a team game, but he doesn't have a playoff win in on his resume in about in nine years. So this is why he gets overlooked. Well, and 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 you you hit the nail on the head with me, and then and the reason I brought this clip up a couple things, and I have a, a grumpy old man complaint about it too, which I'll get to, which yeah. is um, I when I don't remember players going back a couple decades, right? Going back to some of the guys, you know, the Emmett Smiths the Troy Aikmans to use the Cowboy examples or going back to the Elways or going back to some of those quarterbacks during that, that eighties, nineties era, early two thousands. I didn't hear them talking a lot about, well, we don't get respect. We don't get respect. I don't understand what the fascination is. And even the question, I mean, two former players interviewing another player, I get it. It's kind of inside baseball, but this idea, he's not respected. You earn respect. You earn respect. Now, some fans, and I agree with you, most some fans might argue, well, the media doesn't give him enough credit. What does he want credit for? I shouldn't say that. Not, Derek Carr doesn't want credit. He's not asking for it. But what do they want credit for? That he's a top five quarterback when he's not? That he is a Super Bowl winning quarterback? He's not. Is he a very good quarterback with good numbers? Yes. To your point, no wins, no playoff wins. The Justin Herbert thing, there's been a lot of negative press this week about Justin Herbert with some former players commenting in their new broadcast roles about Justin Herbert being overhyped. Is he overhyped? Probably in some ways. And the only reason I say that is because there's nothing people love more than potential, right? Especially young players. If Justin Herbert was a 10-year player, he would be Derek Carr, right? Now, I know he puts up some bigger numbers, but my point there is if he hadn't won any playoff games and he hadn't won a Super Bowl or or led his team to those kind of big playoff runs, then he'd be in the same boat. So so I, I just I, I want to hear your thoughts because this idea of give me respect because I've played for 10 years and I've gone through six coaches, there is an there is a, a certain amount of respect for him for that. I, I see it on here it all the time. But the respect for being one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play the game, the respect for being a winning playoff winning championship quarterback, that you can only earn by doing it, correct? 
Right, but I want to caution and say, where is the disrespect coming from? And I, yeah, you good know, point. A lot, a lot of times fans will look at certain promotions for matchups in AFC West, and you'll see, you know, you'll see Russell Wilson, you'll see Patrick Mahomes, you'll see Justin Herbert featured, and you don't see Derek Carr. And it's like, okay, where's Derek Carr on yeah. this uh, feature promotion for a, a football game? And I, that part of it, I get because look at what Russell Wilson is right now. Yeah, I think I think Russell Wilson. I'm Good not saying point. Russell Wilson's a bad quarterback, but he is easily the worst quarterback in that division. He's a bottom quarterback in the league right now. Right, Justin Herbert. You know, he while he's good, he hasn't been as hasn't taken the leap. A lot of people expected him to take. Now, Keenan Allen's been hurt. Mike Williams is on IR now. I get that, but no one's giving those excuses to Derek Carr. Derek Carr last year played without basically without a number one wide receiver and led the Raiders, helped lead the Raiders to the playoffs. So he yeah. deserves he deserves respect for that. Yeah. In fairness, Derek Carr is not standing in front of an opponent saying, I deserve respect pounding the table. It's a lot of discussion from the outside people, the media, guys like you and me, Hushmanzada, of course, Orlando Skandrick, I believe that was next to Skandrick, him. Skandrick, yep, yep. Those guys are asking, is he disrespected? Because we've talked about it on the show. He's very polarizing. A lot of people either really like him and say he's a good, really good quarterback. There are some people who think he's a top five quarterback. And there are some people that go, when are the Raiders just going to move on from him? We're, t- we're sick and tired of seeing this. He's been around <laughs> for this long and he hasn't got the Raiders to a playoff win. It's time to move on. There are two factions there. And this is why you get the discussion. Is he respected enough? Is he being disrespected? Well, and, and here comes when I watch Derek Carr on a broadcast, an NFL broadcast, I hear nothing but praise of him from play-by-play, play-by-play. And, of course, they want you to watch the game because if they say, hey, this guy sucks and this term's terrible, you're going to turn out the game. <laughs> but, 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 no, I think they mean it. I mean, you listen to the broadcasters, and they talk about it. They talk about what he's done. They praise him for what he's done. It's, it's the, the, the blowhards who talk for a living, who, who are getting clicks, who want this stuff, that, that are, I think, what they're talking about being disrespected. Those are the critics. The critics are always there. Mo, you have critics. I have critics, right? We saw our good friend Murph this week uh, talk about him being fan content and how a couple broadcasters, I forgot where they were from, went on their podcast to criticize uh, fan content and how terrible it was and so on. Now, is there terrible fan content? Sure. Is there terrible media content? Sure. Is there good stuff? Yes. So so I get it. But those guys... um, with the social media, and this is what I was a long way of getting to this, the social media impact on our society, the social media impact on sports with a young guy like Max Crosby, and we'll get to Max Crosby in a second because he's having an amazing year. Um, I think it, 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 it takes on such a large piece of their mindset that, and, and, and you hear it in questions like this because that's where it comes from. It's not coming from you know, CBS or NBC broadcast team when they're doing a game, it's coming from people who get paid to give an opinion. What I always tell people when I tell young writers is to be careful where you're absorbing your criticism from, mm. because if good point, if, if Joe Schmo, whoever, some rando on Twitter, Raider, <laughs> Raider, Raider time, five, six, seven, eight, five is saying, yeah, you suck. Your articles are garbage. Who is that to criticize you? You don't know that person's credentials. You is that person have the standing to to critique your work? Yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. If there's there's constructive criticism and there's negativity. A lot of times, negativity is just a lot of outside noise from random people who just want to have their voice heard. 
constructive criticism comes from people with pelts on the wall, credentials, people who play the position. So when I hear commentary about Derek Carr and it's coming from Dan Orlovsky or Kurt Warner, I listen because those guys have played in the NFL. Now, I know Dan Orlovsky isn't a Super Bowl champion like Kurt Warner Doesn't is. Doesn't matter. He but he's played the position. He understands the position. He knows how to break down the game, so you have to respect his voice on things. Mm-hmm. But some guy, you know, in 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 living in, I want to say, in New Jersey somewhere, you know, <laughs> gardening in his yard, said, oh, Derek Carr sucks. We need to replace him and raise him to move on. That guy's opinion doesn't really mean much. And to your point, with social media now, everyone has a voice. Yeah. And I would tell people, anyone with a public job, whether you're a writer, a, an athlete, anything you do, be careful where you take your, again, be careful where you take your criticism from. Be careful who you listen to on, on the critique of your work because not everyone's opinion has value to it. And I would say Correct. to Max Crosby or any athlete, block out the noise from the random people. If you want if you want constructive real criticism, talk to former players, talk to coaches and keep it there. Yeah, absolutely. And that doesn't mean people aren't entitled to their opinion. If you think Derek Carr sucks, fine. That's that's up to you. Uh, You're entitled to it. um, And and we move on. Mo, we got about 30 seconds before we go to the next break. But I wanted to bring up Max Crosby, too. He talked a lot about in that interview as well. If he was getting enough respect and he didn't use those words and I didn't get the sense that it bothers him at all. But you look at him this year. He's uh, 22 solo tackles, second in the NFL. He's tied for 13th with six assists, tied for fourth with six sacks, two forced fumbles, which is also tied for fourth, a 90.5 ranking from Pro Football Focus. Um, Max Crosby's on fire. I don't think he, I think he gets attention when the rate, when you're watching the Raider broadcast, but nationally, I do think in this case, not disrespect, but he is a great story and he continues despite the fact that that defensive front hasn't been the best all season. Um, this guy just continues to work his tail off and become one of the better ends in all of football. Yeah. He's not going to get the national praise uh, compared to uh, a Nick Bosa, because let's be honest, Nick Bosa was drafted, I believe, second overall. Max yeah. Crosby was drafted in the fourth round. Now, that's a greater story, a fourth rounder to rise up the way he's rose up. But when you look at these TV shows and you look at these media uh, pundits and people talking heads, such as you and I, a lot of times they're talking about the surface level things. So they're mm-hmm. going to talk about first round picks, stars, and things of that nature. And I'm not saying Max Crosby is not a star, but Nick Bosa is a more recognizable name. On top of that, he has a brother who's also pretty good and Joey Bosa in the NFL. So he's going to get the national talk. And the 49ers have been a perennial playoff contender. So his team is going to get more attention on top of that. So when Raiders fans are saying, well, Max Crosby is disrespected, I, I understand it because he's not getting the same acknowledgement as some of the other players who are drafted in the first round but also understand when you watch tv shows it's all about getting the most eyeballs and getting the casual fans to tune in so they're not going to talk about a fourth round who someone who's drafted in the fourth round versus someone who was drafted second overall and on a perennial playoff contending squad well and also don't forget the college angle here Nick Bosa went to Ohio State Ohio State has a massive massive fan base so they know if they hype that player People who love Ohio State still love Nick Bosa. Even if they're Vikings fans, uh, they will root for Nick Bosa on the 49ers because of the Ohio State connection. So uh, that's why. But uh, a great interview with Max Crosby. uh, And and I love the piece about the guy. So it's very cool. Uh, And I mean P-E-A-C-E. 
about the guy. Uh, so go check out the, so, the Fubo interview. Yep. So Scott, you're saying Eastern Michigan doesn't have a large fan base? Shout <laughs> out to the Eastern Michigan fans who drew for Max Crosby, by the way. So I've we, been we to, see you out there. I've been to Ypsilanti, Michigan several times. Back when I worked at UNLV, we played them, and I've been there. So I've been to Eastern Michigan uh, and a great little campus, but it's in the shadow of Ann Arbor. So uh, it's very close to Ann Arbor, so people don't really, you know, it's like if you're an Eastern Michigan uh, alum or a person, you're there, but otherwise it's all Michigan country, so we get that. All right, we're going to take our next break here on Silver and Black today, an Odyssey original podcast. Also, show on 98.5, The Fan in Las Vegas. Uh, thanks to all for joining us. When we come back, we're going to switch focus to the game coming up on Sunday, of course, against the New Orleans Saints We'll talk about that matchup and how we see it going down. You're with Mo. You're with Scott. This is Silver and Black Today. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back. It is Silver and Black Today, an Odyssey original podcast, or you're listening to us on 98.5 The Fan. This is the time of the show. We start this third segment with a key look at the game against the Saints. The Raiders taking on the Saints down in New Orleans. Here with a preview of that game is our producer and correspondent, David Stepanian. It's a reunion in the Big Easy this Sunday as the Raiders head to the Superdome and face first-year Saints coach Dennis Allen, who was famously let go by the Raiders just four games into Derek Carr's rookie season. The Silver and Black are looking for their first road win of the year in hopes of a turnaround after beating Houston. Coach Josh McDaniels knows how important execution will be to get a victory on Sunday. Uh, you know, so the young guys are kind of around a few guys that kind of um, have a little bit more experience than they do, which is helpful. And then Andre's right smack dab in the middle of all of them. So, um, no, I, you know, they're really doing a, a decent job of acclimating to one another, working together with one another. I think that the thing that doesn't get talked about enough is the communication. You know, there's subtle things that they need to communicate constantly with one another, and they're starting to really get the hang of that and uh, work well with one another. And, you know, and that manifests itself when there's not a lot of unblocked players in the front. Um, and that doesn't mean that, like, next week's automatically going to be the same result. But, um, you know, look, we've, we've said this for a number of weeks is, you know, when, when, you, when you don't play your best or you lose a game, you know, you have an opportunity to learn from that. And uh, so we've tried to find some solutions. Tried to f we have to identify the problem first, you know, and then try to find some solutions to it. So we've worked really hard at that. The players deserve the credit. Uh, we, we practiced, you know, in the red zone three days last week, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. And they really acclimated to, you know, trying to improve in that area of our game. And, uh, you know, again, we saw a little fruit for our labor. New Orleans has lost five of their last six, largely in part due to a depleted roster. Key players missing last week included Michael Thomas, Jameis Winston, and Marshawn Lattimore. Meanwhile, Josh Jacobs rattled off his third stray game with over 140 rushing yards. Offensive coordinator Mick Lombardi knows just how big the running game will be come Sunday. You know, I think we start every game saying, what can we do to have positive plays to try and get the ball into the defense and, create, and to create a, a scoring drive? The running game obviously is a great effect of that. And, you know, we have to make sure that we do our job up front. The back's got to do a great play fake. Quarterback's got to give a great play fake. Linemen have to block like if it's, a, if it's a run play. And if we all do that, then it makes it easy for, you know, the scope players to get open and they have to run the right route and to get open, obviously. But um, when you run the ball as effectively as we had the past few weeks, it obviously it's, done, you know, it's a benefit to do that. The two and four Raiders have won back-to-back -back against the Saints, including a Monday night epic that served as the grand opening to Allegiant Stadium in 2020. 
Odds makers have the silver and black as a two-point road favorite with kickoff set for 10 a.m. this Sunday. For Silver and Black Today, I'm David Stepanian. Thanks, David Stepanian, for that game preview. A good stuff. Now Mo and I turn our attention to looking at this game and what it means for this Raiders squad. The Raiders coming off this win against Houston. I saw interesting feedback from Raiders fans saying, why are you guys making a big deal out of it? It's not the Super Bowl. They're still under 500. But the Raiders seem to really put things in gear. They now face a New Orleans team that's been up and down, struggled with some injuries to key players, still has some pieces on defense, still has some pieces on offense, but a team in transition. When you look at this game, the opportunity for the Raiders to go on the road, the first of two consecutive games in the Eastern time zone, by the way, um, what, what do you look at this game and say, okay, this is going to be good for the Raiders? And then what challenges do you think they'll face that could put a wrinkle in their plans to get win number three? Two big challenges the Raiders face. Number one, the Saints have more time to prepare for the Raiders. The Saints played last Thursday against the Cardinals, so they had a few extra days. No excuses, though. Um, <laughs> the other thing is Alvin Kamara. I know he's not racking up yards as people are accustomed to seeing from him but he's still been over a hundred yards from scrimmage in his last three games. So I believe he had close to 200 yards of scrimmage against the Seahawks a few weeks ago. So don't sleep on Alvin Kamara. He is healthy. He is playing. Now they're not going to have, they may not have Michael Thomas, who's been out since I believe week three, Jarvis Landry, who's been out for multiple weeks, but Chris Olave, who by the way is on your fantasy team, yes, uh, is. is playing, is playing very well. And he's, probably one of uh, a rookie of the year candidate if Kenneth Walker doesn't run away with it with the Seahawks being a starter over there over, over Rashad Penny but Chris Olave is an offensive rookie of the candidate and he's playing very well so the Raiders are going to have to contain him the other thing I noticed is the Raiders are still having problems guarding tight ends it's not mm. just Travis Travis Kelsey they have to keep an eye on Jawan Johnson who scored two touchdowns against the Cardinals the Cardinals also have issues guarding the tight end just like the Raiders so if Michael Thomas and Jarvis Landry don't shoot up, uh, suit up, watch out for the tight end position and Jawan Johnson. Yeah, absolutely. You look at the 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 Saints too. I think here's an interesting storyline: a quarterback that is a kind of a bridge guy, a guy you like to have as an insurance policy. Andy Dalton. Andy Dalton, season high in completions, passing yards, three hundred and sixty-one, and a TD uh, four in week seven. It was his thirty-second three hundred yard game. Uh, but Andy Dalton, um, we saw last week uh, that uh, he he could he's still throwing quite a few interceptions at times, and so the Raiders' defense has the opportunity here to maybe take advantage of that and have that young defensive backfield gain some more confidence and play. Do you see outside of the couple players you talked about um, when you look at an Andy Dalton run offense versus a Jameis Winston? Uh, run offense um, does that favor the Raiders defense and how they've been struggling and where they've been so far in 2022 I wouldn't say it favors the Raiders defense I would say it could give the Raiders defense more issues because with Andy Dalton under center the Saints have been more apt to use Taysom Hill mm -hmm. who's a guy you have to make sure you know where he is on the field he can, yeah. he, he can he can throw the football he can run the football I believe he caught a touchdown pass last week so Taysom Hill, I think, is the guy you you circle and want to watch outside the obvious Alvin Kamara and Chris Olave, who I just talked about. Make sure you know where Taysom Hill's lined up because in his good weeks, he could run for 100 yards. He can catch for maybe, you know, he can get a couple of catches maybe in the red zone. 
Uh, he they may hand it off to him so he can throw downfield on, on a couple of trick plays. So he's the guy I think that could wreck the game if the Raiders are not careful. Um, as far as the defensive side of the ball, Cameron Jordan is the guy I circle. Uh, he's the mm-hmm. guy has been around for nearly a decade or more, and he's still racking up pressures. So make sure you uh, get him blocked on that on that uh, front line because he can also wreck the game. Marshawn Lattimore may not play. He has an abdomen injury. Mm-hmm. So on, in the secondary, Devontae Adams, I think this is a big, big game for Devontae, close to 200 receiving yards for him. Wow, 200 receiving. Look at that prediction from Mostradamus. Woo! Somebody's mm-hmm. going to somebody's picking up their phone right now and they're betting on the prop bets. Uh, <laughs> another bet, guy, yeah. an, another guy, Demario Davis, uh, linebacker there. So you talk about the Saints and some of that defensive. That he's got five sacks on the season so far. Um, the offense line will get tested again, right? With some of those guys yep. uh, up front there, despite the injury on the backside up front. The Saints still present a, a good challenge for this offensive line. If they go down to New Orleans, the offensive line, and they're able to contain Jordan and Davis, um, to me, that'll be another huge shot for this team. Yeah, absolutely. And with Davis, I want to say if Darren Waller does play in this game, big don't guess. expect Darren Waller to to rack up 100 yards. It'll be a big it'll be a big boost for the Raiders' offense. But Demario Davis is is one of the best off-ball linebackers in the league and right. he he can cover so I, I wouldn't expect Darren Wall to go off this is why I'm so high on a Devontae Adams on the perimeter because that's where the Saints are susceptible in their secondary they're susceptible on the on the edges on the outside on the boundary uh as you get inside a little more a uh, little tougher against the passing with coverage but I would say that Darren Waller being the x-factor here him suiting up is just him being on the field his presence as I mentioned after that Chiefs game, if he's able to just get on the field, the Saints have to roll coverage to him because you're not going to leave him open. You're not going to you're going to probably double cover him in certain areas. So if he could just suit up, I think it'll, again, open up things for Devontae Adams and even Hunter Renfro. Maybe he gained some momentum. I know he had some catches in the last game starting to find his rhythm in that offense. It'll also be good for him. Absolutely. Let's switch to the other side. You look at the Raiders uh, defense. Uh, itself we see Chandler Jones really picking up steam what a great first half against the Texans uh, last Sunday Uh, and then of course you have Max Crosby who we talked about last segment uh, as well Um, you have the new off defensive line without Jonathan Hankins even though he's been not playing very much Uh, you have the challenges up front and you see the offense of that of that New Orleans team uh, uh, having a Taysom Hill to challenge what has already been difficult uh, for for this team to cover, which is a tight end position, even though you know you can call him a tight end, whatever you want to call Taysom Hill, a uh, Swiss uh, Swiss Army knife. Um, the challenge is up front for this team too. Talk a little bit about that. Do we see Chandler Jones and Max Cross? Do they have the opportunity to really get in there and wreck havoc uh, on on the pocket for Andy Dalton? Yeah, when when Jameis Winston was starting, part of the reason Jameis Winston is hurt right now with back and ankle injuries is because that offensive line wasn't able to protect him. He was getting he was taking a lot of hits. Uh, the offensive line has tightened up recently, so I wouldn't expect a bunch of sacks here, uh, unless unless there's you know a mismatch here or or Graham does something with his defensive line that we haven't seen before that the Saints don't expect. But what I'm be looking at is the interior defensive line. I know Hankins hasn't played a lot of snaps, but the Raiders are high on Neil Farrell Jr., their fourth-round rookie, Matthew Butler, their fifth-round rookie, and seeing more of Cleveland Farrell out there. I think those guys 
can make this game a signature game for that interior defensive line unit to say, look, you know, Hankins is not here anymore, but we got a, we got a, a trio of young guys, a rotation of young guys that can make plays on the inside on run and pass down. So I think this is a big test for them. And we talked about Alvin Kamara, of course, because they're going to have to stop him in, in the run game as well as a pass game. But even on the ground, I think those guys can prove a point to say, look, we're we're blossoming to something special on the interior. Yeah, and we saw the Raiders do well against uh, the the Houston Texans run. Uh, they they had a successful uh, few series to start the game, but then the Raiders really battened down the hatches and did well. You look at the series, the Raiders lead the series 7-6-1. and one. Raiders have won the last two. Of course, you remember the Raiders 34-24 just a couple seasons ago. Mo, we talked last segment about uh, possible acquisitions for this team, or I should say in the first segment, about possible acquisitions for this team. Uh, if the Raiders go out there and have similar struggles in the defensive backfield like we saw with Trayvon Merrick uh, last week and we saw with Jonathan Abram and with Rocky Sin, um, d- does that start to maybe force their hand into looking, especially if they can – if they can win the game, if they lose the game, things change a little bit. But do we see them look at how they perform against New Orleans? And and then does that perhaps uh, make them a little more interested in what's available in the trade market? I would say if Andy Dalton goes out there and throws for 300 plus yards and the Saints rack up a whole bunch of yards through the air, you got to make a move because mm. Nate Hobbs is probably going to be out for about a month with broken bones in his hand not coming back anytime soon. Even if the Rays win the game, I'm going out to get a corner if I can at a reasonable price. But especially if Andy Dalton looks like the second coming of, I don't know, Peyton Manning Jr. (laughs) You know, you have to. Because every quarterback has played relatively well against the Raiders' defense. It's time that that defense, especially that secondary, has to step it up against who is now a bridging out quarterback in Andy Dalton. You don't want Andy Dalton going up and down the field on you on your secondary. Those guys, Trayvon Merrick, Amik Robertson, our guy, Rocky Asin, Anthony Averett, especially Anthony Averett, yeah, who yeah. had his first taste of action, not first taste of action, but came back from surgery. He has to step it up because I think it'll it'll go a long way to help the confidence, just, you know, garner some confidence in that secondary. Again, because if it doesn't look good, you got to make a move. And then I'm picking up the phone. If I'm Dave Ziegler, I'm picking up the phone. I'm calling about Greedy Williams or William Jackson. Yeah, there you go. Any question that the Raiders go in with uh, the same type of offensive mentality they had against Houston, who had a good defense as well, give the ball to Josh Jacobs, establish that run. Hopefully they wear down that that good uh, uh, New Orleans defense up front and at the linebacker core. And, uh, or do they, because of the injuries in the defensive backfield uh, that you talked about, Lattimore, do they, do they pass the ball more or are we looking at a repeat of the Houston game? Scott, whatever is working, don't change it. <laughs> if it's working, yes. don't don't mess with it. Jacobs has been on a tear over the last three weeks. Continue to feed him the football because good things have happened to the Raiders when they do that. Now, you don't want to ignore the, completely ignore the passing game because, I, again, I think Devontae Adams is going to have a big game with the injuries on the back end and Marshawn Lattimore not being on the field. But we talked about it. Balance the offense. Don't fall in love with the pass. Don't fall too hard in love with the run. But feed the hot hand. If Jacobs is hot, he's ripping off five, six yards per carry. By any means, feed him the ball, and you're probably going to win the game and control the tempo of it. Yeah, him and Barkley, the top two running backs in the league right now, and they are just on fire. Just give him the ball. Let him go. That's all you got to do. So uh, I agree with you. Okay, Mo, quick prediction. Um, I'm going to give you mine first. Let's see. Last, last week we were really close to one another. I got the Raiders in this one, not as high scoring as they had last week. 
Uh, I think it'll be, be on the road, a little bit more of a grind. I like the Raiders 28-24 down at the Caesars Superdome in New Orleans. What do you got? Ah, I put out I put out a column, my betting column every Thursday, and I actually have the Raiders higher than you as oh. the as the as the car is honking its horn behind me. <laughs> um I have the Raiders winning 34-31. I actually think ah. it's going to be a shootout. Fans probably don't want to hear that because if the Saints are putting up 31 without Michael Thomas and Jarvis Landry with Andy Dalton on the center, there's a sign of panic there. But if you look at the Raiders' defense, it's, it's just allow quarterbacks to move the football, and I don't expect anything different because the Raiders haven't really changed anything through the first seven weeks. So I think it's going to be close, as you said, going on the road with a team that's well-prepared for you with a few days extra to prepare. I think it's going to be pretty close, but I think Daniel Carlson, who is perfect, by the way, in the season, 16-16 on his field goal attempts. Mm-hmm. I know he missed the extra point, but he's perfect on his field goal attempts. I think the Raiders win on a late fourth-quarter field goal, There you go. Mo always has the flair for the dramatic. He should have been an actor. Actor. No. (laughs) Uh, All right. There you go. So Mo and I both have the uh, Raiders topping the Saints just by a little bit different score. All right, my man. It'll be interesting to see how it all unfolds down at the uh, Superdome in New Orleans. The Caesars Superdome, of course. So. They have a new name. It used to be Mercedes. Now it's gambling. It's Caesars. Uh, I can't keep up with all the name changes of the stadiums all the time, but there you go. Mo, I appreciate it. Make sure you check out Mo's recent columns up on Bleacher Report as well as sportsnot.com where he writes about the Raiders. Follow him on Twitter at M-O-E-M-O-T-O-N. My friend, I will next talk to you on Tuesday. Hopefully it's a good show because I know if the Raiders lose, fans would want to burn it down, all of it. So hopefully the Raiders come out on top. <laughs> Yes, and enjoy your trick-or-treating on on Monday, Halloween. Uh, And by the way, we will be back here with our post-game show on Sunday after the Saints versus Raiders. So wherever you get your podcast, check out myself and Murph from Raiders Fan Radio. Maybe even a special guest from outside the country will join us. We'll talk to you about that another another time. But for Mo Moten, I am Scott Colbranson. This has been Silver and Black Today, an Odyssey original podcast. Also, a farewell, a happy Sunday to our radio listeners on 98.5 The Fan in Las Vegas. Take care, Raider Nation. Enjoy the game, and we'll talk to you Sunday post-game here on Silver and Black Today. Bye-bye now.